Welcome back to the 179th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. Today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including with the elections in Virginia coming up, they are, the parties are looking towards Virginia to see if it will forecast the national election. An interesting conversation about dark money is arising after SBF's trial and uh, how Texas farmers are fighting for their property rights and how it's more important than you may think. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So, with Kentucky and Virginia, their major elections, or you know, bellwether elections as some people are talking about, uh, they're coming up here in, well, this is coming out on the 1st, so in about six days. And it's going to really forecast which way, or at least people believe it'll forecast which way the national elections are going to go. So before any of those elections take place, throw your comments down there. Tell me what you think is going to happen. And also tell me if you think that, you know, the whole uh, bellwether idea is actually consistent or not, because there is a whole year between these elections and the next one, and a lot can change in a year. All right, let's jump to our first article about this exact same topic that comes from the New York Sun. Uh, The headline reads, Parties look to legislative elections looming in Virginia as testing ground for 2024. Now, I do agree with the testing ground narrative, mainly because these elections at least provide a small bubble through which both parties can really test their message. They can see which issues are really resonating with voters. They can see what type of candidates are more likely to get certain votes. They're also able to determine well, okay, we spent this much money on ad buys in this particular region. Did they work out well? So yes, it can be a testing ground. But also the whole talk of, oh, well, you know, if the Democrats win here in Virginia, then uh, it means that we're going to win the national. Or if the Republicans, you know, sweep the House in the, sorry, the House of Delegates or the Senate in Virginia, then that means that we're going to totally sweep in the national election. Like I said, a lot can change within the space of one year. But, you know, I'm doing a a lot of uh, rambling talk, and let's grab a quote from the article so you can understand where the New York Sun is coming from on this one. Quote, On November 7th, voters in Virginia will head to the polls for the General Assembly and State Senate elections, and the results will be closely watched as national political parties prepare for 2024. At the center of the campaign are Governor Yunkin and state Republicans' proposed 15-week abortion ban, which they are pushing as a compromise position on the issue. So let's pause there real quick. You can see there, this is again putting forth a policy proposal to really see, hey, is this going to get, or is this going to vibe, is this going to jive with the voters? 15 weeks, uh, you know, for a lot of people, that feels like it's not enough. For a whole large majority of other people, it feels like it's just right. And for some people, it's like, whoa, whoa, we are being way too restrictive. So they're floating these sort of ideas. They're floating these different policy proposals. If you know part of Cameron's campaign is that he doesn't believe in uh, abortion at all. He says that it's wrong, whether even in the case of uh, rape and incest, which is a position that not everybody holds here in America. But 
based on you know this sort of thing with the fifteen week ban and Cameron's you know policy positions, especially with the attack ads that Bashir's been taking out on him and really highlighting it, it will allow the Republican Party to really gauge where everybody is going in to this next election, because abortion has been on the top of mind of a lot of voters. And the Democrats really believe that they can reframe this still around the Roe v. Wade battle that happened in the Supreme Court. They can talk about abortion and make it another key issue in order to get themselves back in power in Washington. So the Republicans, they have these two different different stances in two, you know, not, I'm not going to say they're similar states, but in two different states, and it will actually give them a good idea as to where a large majority of the population stands. Quote, if Republicans are able to post big wins in Virginia, the state-level strategy could serve as a blueprint for the national Republicans struggling to find a popular message on abortion. That's what I said, but a little bit more refined and not so rambly. It's almost as if they do this for a living and they can actually, you know, make concise statements that get the point across rather than rambling. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm doing it again. Sorry. Quote, in the campaign, Democrats and Republicans in the state have rolled out ad campaigns focusing on abortion and painting their opponents as extremists. Democrats have highlighted the policies adopted by Republicans around the country that ban abortions and bans and bills which have not yet passed, sponsored by some state-level Republicans in places like Texas, to charge women who receive abortions with assault or homicide. So, you can see, as I mentioned, abortion is a thorny topic. Republicans know that they need to get away from this, or at least they need to find a message that's going to work. And the Democrats, they are outright saying, hey, at the end of the day, we know that a certain segment of the population doesn't like how hard these uh, Republicans are wanting to crack down on these, you know, different practices. So we're going to advertise this particular way. It's a proving ground for both parties. Quote, what is happening all around us, one Democratic ad says, MAGA Republicans in Richmond want Virginia to be next, defunding Planned Parenthood, Parenthood, a total abortion ban, no exceptions, women and doctors in jail, end quote. So yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, I don't want to say outrageous, but that's a pretty bold statement. They're outright saying, okay, nope, you know, women doctors in jail, they're going to completely defund Planned Parenthood, the total abortion ban. It kind of feels like it's the concessionist argument, like, oh, well, if we don't do this specifically, everything's off the table, everything's gone. The Republicans can't be moderate whatsoever. And of course, when you're advertising, when you're trying to make a case for yourself, when you're trying to paint your enemy or your adversary as someone who is not going to be reasonable, of course you're going to take this tact. But also, I think that will be a very interesting thing to look at going into 2024. If these tactics don't work out for either side that are using attack ads that are being harsh and overly critical, maybe it will actually tell the parties, hey, maybe attack ads don't work. Because I've talked to a lot of people on the ground who they don't like the attack ads that come out from either side. I've heard this from people in Kentucky. I've heard this when I was back in Virginia. They say it feels dirty. It feels like they're uh, being really, really slimy when they're attacking somebody else. And yet, the message still does get through. And yet, some people still vote based on them. And even those people that don't like it still are influenced and vote based on that. So maybe if these strong attacks don't work, the Democratic Party will actually, or the Republican Party will actually change their tact. I highly, highly doubt it, but you never know. Quote, 
Mr. Coleman says that the elections will be a testing ground for messaging from both Democrats and Republicans. Of the recent Republican messaging, Mr. Coleman said the GOP is trying to take the bull by the horns by calling Democrats extremists on the issue. This strategy will also deploy last year was deployed last year in Arizona by venture capitalist Blake Masters, who lost the Senate race. End quote. So, this is uh, something, hey, at the end of the day, Arizona tried it. It didn't actually work out that well. Maybe they're finding a new way to do it, and maybe the, by taking the bulls, uh, the bull by the horns, maybe people have had time to shift. You know, Roe hasn't been as, uh, hasn't been on the mind as of late. And when I say that, of course, it's been in the political cycle. It, is, it hasn't gone away because the Democrats know that it's an important issue for them. But also, it's not as fresh in the minds of people, and they've had time to live with the new reality and realize it's not a uh, neo-fascist state where they're constantly jailing women and doctors. You know, there's the odd case here or there, but it's not happening every single day in every single locality that has tighter abortion restrictions. So maybe this is the time that that could actually end up working. But also, I think that going forward, there's an interesting line that the Republicans need to be able to walk. And that's because at the end of the day, you don't want to piss off people by being more involved in their life. A lot of Americans, whether Republican or Democrat, moderate, independent, libertarian, or even Green Party, as much as they may, any of those sides may talk about having the government get involved in particular locations, a large majority of the populace doesn't like it when they feel as though the government is getting involved in their life in any way, shape, or form. If there's an abortion ban and it says outright that you can't do this, even if you, people don't morally agree with it, they don't like the government telling them what they can and cannot do even if it is to protect the safety. So think about seatbelt regulations. People didn't like seatbelt regulations. Some people still absolutely hate seatbelt regulations, even though it is for their safety. At the end of the day, it was the government telling people that they needed to do things, their state government. People do not like when they are told what to do because it is kind of the underlying ethos of the American ideal, which is government is restrained to its sphere. It is there to protect us from... The, uh, foreign and domestic enemies, as well as uh, provide a legal structure that allows us to operate in a society, have property rights so those won't be infringed. Yes, we'll get to the property rights a little bit later on. So the idea that a government's getting directly involved in your life, it, it kind of goes against some of the American way. We're also kind of rebellious, or at least we've been defined by our revolution and our rebellion, and that still kind of sits with the people. And we have a little bit, a tiny bit of an anti-government sentiment. Not everybody does, but a large majority of the populace does as they get out there in the world and they realize how the government infringes. So the Republicans and the Democrats need to be very careful moving forward here, and I think the Republicans especially, because even if they believe ethically and morally their stance is 100% right, getting directly involved in people's lives looks like too much government involvement. And that is not something that voters, I mean, historically, voters, no matter what side is doing it, if they are getting more involved in your life, voters don't tend to like it. And there's one more little aspect to this uh, article as well that talks about how important this could be for Glenn Youngkin going forward if he wants to make a presidential bid in the future. 
Quote, the Virginia elections will also be closely watched due to Mr. Yonkin's involvement in the race. Mr. Yonkin has of late come under some pressure from big donors anxious to find a viable alternative to President Trump to enter the Republican presidential primary, but has so far declined, saying he's focused on Virginia. Mr. Yonkin's way of dismissing presidential ambitions has, however, only heightened speculation that a big win in Virginia could be the first step in launching a late entry into the GOP primary. And maybe, maybe that's a possibility. I think, one, Virginia shouldn't lose him too early. They need to keep him as long as possible. That is my uh, biased opinion. And I say that because as a person that has lived in Virginia underneath Yonkin, you barely hear his name unless it's an attack from the other side of the aisle. And as someone who doesn't like government being too involved in your life, I like that. When you don't actually hear the names of the representatives, you know, because they're doing something outrageous, they're putting a new bill through that's somehow impeding or you know, limiting something that you can do, or the governor's name isn't brought up that much in a a way that implies that you are having some right changed or some major changes coming. I kind of like that. I don't like the government being too involved. I would rather have a government that has a whole bunch of surpluses like Virginia does now under uh, Glenn Youngkin. Then again, some of those were handed off to him after COVID, but he kept them rolling. He didn't go into a deficit. So, you know, I think Virginia needs to keep him a little bit longer. He needs to get a little bit more bona fides in running a state and also just stay out of this political cycle. It is toxic. It could ruin your career. Give it time. Be patient. He is a man who waited long enough to get into the Virginia campaign at the right time. So I think he's smart enough and patient enough to get on the stage in the future. Now, you know, DeSantis may be a little bit of a problem. Then again, DeSantis is young. Maybe he could do something a little bit more politically advantageous to him and then be president in 20 years. Who knows? But my point is, I don't think he's going to jump in. I don't think he should jump in. And I think he should hold his political capital for a little bit longer and keep getting wins in Virginia, even though the donors are really obsessed with him because they just don't like Trump. All right, let's jump to our second article that comes from Real Clear Politics. And the headline reads, SBF trial should spur dark money legislation. So obviously, anybody that's followed the saying Sam Bateman free kind of stuff is acutely aware of how much money he was donating to both sides of the aisle in order to make sure that he would have a seat at the table if anybody was to get in, and in order to have a some sort of influence over the future legislation that could affect his company, or even just to have the ear of powerful people so that he could have some sort of influence, maybe not even just directly on crypto, but just in general, because he also wanted to be a, what was the word he used, a, a conscious capitalist, or a, a, I'm trying to remember the exact phrase he used, but basically he wanted to use his money in order to affect change in the world. And guess how you do that? You have influence. You donate to the right people so they listen to you and they actually care about what you have to say because you may not donate to them again in the future. Well, with the trial going on, there's lots of talk around this and there's more talk about the people he donated to and also the practice of donating a whole bunch of money to different legislators on both sides of the aisle and the influence it can win you. Quote, Last week, the trial of former crypto billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried details emerged about how the now-disgraced entrepreneur attempted to co-opt U.S. senators from both the Republican and Democratic parties. 
with a $50 million in donations in secretive dark money vehicles linked to both parties, respective Senate leaders, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, Bankman Free presumably sought to influence future crypto regulations. Had the 31-year-old former crypto king not run afoul of the law, he might have ne- we might have never learned of these donations. The only reason the American people are aware of this influence buying is because Bankman Freed allegedly made their donations with stolen investor money. Had Bankman Freed not been the head of a company engaged in criminal acts, the dark money contributions to Schumer, McConnell, and other members of Congress would presumably have been legal and likely never come to light. So, what the author's getting at here, at the end of the day, it's legal to do most of this stuff. The only reason it's coming out, like they directly said, is because he is on trial, because he was a scumbag, because he was stealing his people's money, his customers' money. So, it really raises the question at the end of the day, do you want that to be the case? Do you want it to be legal that billionaires can spend money and give it to both parties? It's not like, let's be clear, he was a Democrat. He was much more of a Democratic supporter. But if he's trying to hedge his bets, he's giving money to both sides. He's trying to make sure that both sides of the aisle can at least come to his perspective or listen to his perspective. And guess what? That is no longer a democracy formed by the people. That is a democracy formed by the people that can buy the people who make the legislation. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be too cynical. I'm not trying to be overly jaded. Yes, those politicians, they don't solely care about donor money. But when they're so obsessed with getting back into office, when they're so obsessed with filling their coffers, with filling their campaign funding limits or goals so that they can get more people like them into Congress and Senate so they can pass things that are important to them and their donors, then some of the small concerns of the people most definitely get drowned out. So am I being naive? Am I maybe being a little bit jaded and cynical? Sure, I am definitely doing that, and I will fully admit it. Because when cases like this come out, when there is such blatant influence buying, if you buy influence on one side of the aisle for certain issues that you find very important and you know that only one side of the aisle resonates with, hey, okay, you know, I understand where you're coming from. At least you're more politically motivated. You care about a particular issue, not how it can directly benefit you. This is the most obvious case of buying out both sides in order to benefit you. Just like there are plenty of lobbyists for pharma that go to both sides, just like there are plenty of lobbyists that go for the military to both sides. There's no denying that. And yes, you may be saying, well, that was the most blatant and obvious. I'm saying that this is the most blatant and obvious single person trying to do this. There are plenty of industries that do it that are also blatant and obvious, having their galas where everybody comes, having different speaker fees that they give out to multiple people on both sides of the aisle. But it just it frustrates me so much when this sort of thing is put out there. And also, it doesn't get much traction. A lot of people have been talking about Sam, ba- Sam Bateman-Fried, but not about the way he's trying to influence politics. They care about his trial as a, a cultural phenomenon. No, 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 no. Talk about how he was influencing politics. This man, not only was his mother deeply in the political world, but this man was trying to rig the game for himself and his company. You can't blame him. I'm not trying to say, oh, that's, you know, it's so terrible that the man was looking out for his best interest. It's terrible that the system is set up in a way that he can directly do that with money rather than going there and lobbying and explaining why these regulations that he would want to put in place are actually really good for him and just having a conversation and 
you know, engaging with them intellectually or engaging with them on a practical human level and convincing them with a good argument rather than convincing them with money. Now, yes, I know it's, it's also a little bit cynical because just because you pay for a lot of their uh, campaign expenses with your money doesn't necessarily mean that they're just going to take your word and say you're 100% right. But they will definitely be more lenient to your argument knowing that if they probably don't agree with it, you're probably not going to give money back to them. Quote, this isn't a new issue. In a polling project first commissioned by Jimmy Carter's pollsters, the late Patrick Cadell, the problem of government ethics and corruption has been one of the top two voter concerns for more than a decade. The behavior of the first families of the Democratic and Republican parties has brought the issue into focus for even more Americans to see. In the polling done by Cadell, over 80% of Americans agreed with the statement, Washington, D.C. is a rigged game that only benefits those people who can buy access to power. And now, yes, oh, Alex, you were so cynical a minute ago. Yes, I'm vindicated now because most people feel that way. Maybe it's because we're not a part of the party. Maybe it's because we're not right there in the ears of these people and having our voices heard. But at the end of the day, a lot of people feel this way. Quote, Sam Bankman frees behavior only reinforces that belief. While the Supreme Court's ruling in Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission coffers the right of billionaires to spend millions buying influence through election spending, it doesn't guarantee them the right to anonymity, which, end quote, which is a really important point here as well, which is, yeah, if you're going to be spending that much money, you're going to have that much influence. If the least we could do, the least we could do is make sure that the name of the person who's giving that much money or the name of the group and its contributors that are giving that money should be out there and listed so we know where the influence is coming from, so we know where to direct our fire, where we know we know where to ask the particular questions, who to ask the particular questions. Because let's think there's a, a dark money group, and I don't like using the term dark money group, but there's a money group. <laughs> well, it's basically the same thing. There's a group of people who want to influence things, and they create a fancy uh, nonprofit name, or they create a fancy corporation name, or an influence campaign company name, and then they hide behind that instead of being out there in the public. They're just giving their money, and then they can sit down and have these conversations without us even knowing. If we don't even know who those people are, and we can't even ask them particular questions of why they believe what they believe, is there a rational justification, these sort of things, then at the end of the day, we're just handing over control to those people without being to question, to interrogate, and in the nice way, not in the mean way, interrogate their beliefs and see if they're fundamentally sound and if they actually have the best interest of the people at heart or the best interest of themselves. And it is outrageous that we have come to this point. Sam Bankman Free's trial is a cultural phenomenon. It should be shifted into a political phenomenon. And it should be more deeply examined and more people should be paying attention to this. I know the Wall Street Journal is running a, a special podcast series where they talk about it. I've listened to one. I honestly, I, I don't care that much about Sam Bankman Free. To be honest, I didn't ever buy into his uh, crypto game anyway. And I'm not saying crypto in general. I, I have crypto assets. But I didn't buy into FTX because I, I didn't trust them. But even then, it wasn't just because, oh, well, yeah, no, I knew the fundamental. No, no, no. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea that they were being propped up. I just I didn't trust anyone besides the first one that I went to. And then I put all of my crypto into cold storage and haven't touched it, haven't bought any more 
I'm just leaving it there. You know, it was money that I was willing to lose at the time. Lost a good chunk with everything that happened after the, the COVID years. But like I said, I don't care about him that much. I don't care about his habits. I think they're kind of funny. I don't care about him losing his uh, company. You know, he deserves it because he was doing really crappy things to customers and he was re- being really underhanded. I, but I do care about the political implications of what he was giving his money to, that he was also getting fraudulently, that's important, but also the implications for the wider political sphere. And that's what I think we should be talking about, but that is just my jaded opinion. So let's jump to our final article that comes from the Washington Examiner. A Texas farmer's fight for justice could have major implications for property rights. So I know it feels like we're kind of all over the place today, and I'm not trying to be uh, you know, so crazy, like I said, all over the place. But all of this really speaks to the fact that politicians are kind of out of touch with what the average person cares about. At the end of the day, there are politicians pushing for Glenn Youngkin to get out there in a 20, for the 2024 presidential race. They're using Virginia as a way to understand where the populace is because they don't truly understand where they are right now. The last one is about the billionaires and the millionaires using their money in order to influence these powerful people and not listening to their average everyday constituents. And this one is about the government infringing upon people's property rights, which is the fundamental, one of the most important, if not the most important right that actually should be valued the highest in this nation. So all of these are about politicians not understanding where the populace is. So what is this article really about? You know, I would love to pretend that I have it all memorized, but I'm going to read a quote so then you can understand what's happening here. Quote, in the 1930s, Richie DeVille's grandfather purchased a farm in Winnie, a little town in eastern Texas named after a railroad contractor who prospered. For nearly a century, the DeLevere family raised cattle and grew crops on a 900-acre property without incident until the Texas Department of Transportation started a highway project that had serious implications for the DeVille's land. In the early 2000s, the state renovated Interstate 10, elevating and broadening the highway and erecting concrete barriers. The construction trapped the DeVille property, turning his farm into a lake whenever the region experienced heavy rains, as it did in 2017 during Hurricane Harvey. So we're going to pause there. And so you're probably, once again, Alex, what, what does this have to do with anything? Well, the state is actually, there's a lawsuit right now, and the state is saying that they don't have to pay him back for the damages they're doing to his property. And you may be thinking, well, okay, it's incidental. It's not necessarily like they intended to do blank, blank, and blank. And while I agree, intention is very, very important, especially when it comes to personal action. If I do something in the intended consequences to help somebody but ends up hurting somebody, one, that should be taken into account, but also you know, you can't really dismiss it. Oh, well, I didn't intend to hurt you. I didn't intend to hurt your feelings, so you can't be mad at me. No, no, I ended up hurting your feelings. You should definitely take the intent into it. The intent should be a part of the question of whether you did something right or not, but the way that it affects other people, you can't say the intent completely cancels that out, especially in the case of the government, who is meant to protect the property rights of its citizens, and when it directly infringes upon that. We're not talking about a person-to-person thing anymore. We're talking about a government whose sole purpose 
if you really want to get down to it, its sole purpose is to protect the property of its citizens from foreign agents who want to come in and take all of their property and destroy the U.S., or from internal battles between citizens over their property rights, which is why the legal system is in place. So when this sort of thing happens, it's kind of outrageous. But let me just read one more quote from here so that you kind of get a broader understanding. You can go read this yourself. Quote, in November, the United States Court of Appeals of the Fifth Circuit punted on the matter, arguing the federal courts had no jurisdiction in taking cases against states. The court didn't rule against Devere. It simply said that the Congress never passed a law allowing Americans to sue states for taking their property. So the Fifth Amendment's property protection did not apply to Devere or anyone else. The court's reasoning is strange. Not only does the Constitution explicitly state that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law or without just compensation, but the high court weighed in on the issue as recently as 2019. So the important part there, shall not infringe property and also without just compensation. So they're infringing upon the value of his property by creating basically a flood zone on his farm, and then they are not justly compensating him for that. This is a case that needs to go higher, it needs to get to the Supreme Court, and it needs to come down in the favor of the people. You cannot just have your land seized without the government compensating you. You cannot have your land value destroyed and not have the government compensate you. Because guess what? If they could just destroy land value, then they could go and build something like a highway around a piece of property they really want for a military base. And then the value plummets because whatever they did around there uh, you know, actually lowered the value. And then they could go in and buy it at a lower cost, which would be a scheme in order to affect the price of the property they're trying to buy. And yes, I know it sounds really, really schemey, but I'm taking it to that logical extreme because then guess what? It could be possible. You need to take it to that logical extreme to truly understand what is going on when somebody is not held responsible, the government whose job it is to protect the property, when they're not held responsible for their actions. It also just, it's kind of scummy. Won't lie. No, I won't lie. If you know, companies get sued all the time for the runoff of their different plants uh, into environmental areas and how it affects the local you know, ecoculture or the, the river nearby and then the farms down the stream. So, I'm sorry, if a company can get sued for it, why can't a state? Oh, wait, yes, because a state's special, and they don't want to get sued, and they don't want their power infringed in any way, shape, or form. Also, just like anybody else, they don't want to give away money. So, but that's enough on that one. Uh, you know, overall theme, the people are kind of, uh, you know, in a weird spot, and the government and the politicians are trying to figure out where they are, and they're being a, a little bit unsuccessful. That's the overall one. Let's jump to our daily delight which comes from the Hinnison Times, cockatoo throws tantrum after pet parents deny it a hot dog. And the fact that a cockatoo, okay, can we just, the fact that a cockatoo is eating a hot dog in the first place, I'm sorry, this bird is, is too domesticated. What do you mean he's eating a hot dog? Give him some bird food. I mean, I mean, I guess maybe I, if I was a cockatoo, I would want a hot dog too. I can't deny that, but... Come on, guys. I mean, like, when you give him these pampery things and a hot dog, of course he's going to have a little tantrum like a baby. Quote, every now and then there are several videos that show animals throwing tantrums towards their pet parents. These videos, videos often leave many people amused. Now a clip showing a cockatoo doing 
drama over being unable to eat a hot dog has gone viral on social media and left people chuckling. And, you know, honestly, it did give me a little bit of a giggle, also a little bit of questioning about their uh, parenting style, but, you know, that's just me. And if you want to see this cute photo or any of these cute videos or read any of today's articles, there's a link in the description below that like and subscribe button where you can find all of them. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, as well as Podvine and the Twitter handle at your daily flip where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.